by saying, wouldn't it be better if, I know as a, a parent I do that with my kids when I'm helping them with their homework because I don't want to give them the answer, but I want to guide them and say, wouldn't it be better if we, we did this instead of that? Or maybe as an employee to your boss, when changes are being made, you, you in a respectful, polite way, you try to say, wouldn't it be better if we, we made these changes instead of, of those? Right? It's kind of a polite way of going against what the person is saying or doing. Wouldn't it be better if? But is it a question that you have ever posed to God? Wouldn't it be better, Lord, if... I didn't have to go through this difficulty right now. Wouldn't it be better if this Zika virus just did not exist, if it just went away? Wouldn't it be better if there was not war going on in that country? Wouldn't that be better? And maybe we even take it a step further for our faith and say, Lord, wouldn't it be better if you could just give me a sign that you're actually listening to my prayers so that I would know you're listening? Wouldn't it be better if I could even see you? so that I could be confident of what I believe in, so that I know that you really do exist, that you really are watching over me, that you really do have control over those difficult moments in my life and around this world. Wouldn't it be better, Lord? That question, is, it's a way that we question God, his wisdom and his love, but it also is a way, as we're going to look at today in the gospel lesson, that we can consider the hidden blessings that can't be seen with eyes. We're looking today at the gospel lesson. The gospel comes from Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. And in there we see the transfiguration of our Lord. If you want to open up your bulletins to that, we're going to be going through this lesson. At the start, Peter, James, and John, they were asked by Jesus to go up a mountain to pray. And this was nothing out of the ordinary. Jesus was an excellent example of prayer in his lives. In fact, we even say that, boy, if Jesus prayed that often, how much more so do we need to pray, right? And so as Peter, James, and John went up this mountain to pray, there was nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, it was so normal that Peter, James, and John started to fall asleep. They started nodding off in the middle of their prayers, and Jesus just kept going on with his prayers. They start falling asleep, but then they see that Jesus starts shining, glowing. It probably blinded them as they saw this bright light. And they see Moses and Elijah appear. Two men who have been dead for hundreds of years all of a sudden appear and it says that they appeared in glorious splendor. Now, I wish I could explain to you what that looks like, but I have no idea. I've never seen it. Glorious splendor. But they were witnesses of post-resurrection bodies. They were witnesses of the glory of heaven. The glory that they someday would be able to see completely and fully there in heaven. And then it says that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus started talking. Now, these three men weren't talking about sports. They didn't talk about the weather. It says that they started talking about his departure. It's interesting, in in the Greek there, the word that's there is the word that you already know. They start talking about his exodus. His exodus. So the very one who led the children of Israel 1,500 years earlier out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, and led them into the promised land, was now conversing with Jesus himself, who was about to take on an even greater exodus, freeing them from the slavery of sin and leading them into the promised land of heaven. 
What an amazing conversation that must have been, right? And you can imagine Peter, James, and John, as they see all this, their jaws are hitting the floor. They're trying to understand what is going on here, and their ears are probably inching closer and closer to that conversation as they talk about what the plan of salvation. It was the perfect moment, wasn't it? Peter, James, and John saw it, that they saw proof of their faith. They saw proof that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. They saw proof that Elijah and Moses, those historical figures that that they looked up to, they really were real. They're historically real. They saw them. They saw proof of life after death, proof of resurrection. They saw it all. It was a moment of complete peace and joy. They had no reason to be afraid. It was all real. But then, it says that Moses and Elijah started to leave. They started to walk away. And you can imagine what what happens as Peter sees this. They're they're walking away. This perfect moment is that was just for a moment is starting to diminish. And Peter jumps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you guys doing? Don't leave yet. Here, I'll build some tents for you guys. You guys stick around. Don't go anywhere made sense. Peter wanted to hang on to that woman. He didn't want them to leave. For him, it made sense. He was saying to Jesus, Jesus, wouldn't it be better if Moses and Elijah could come down the mountain with us and they could preach too? Wouldn't it be better if you could continue glowing like you are so everybody would know for certain that you really are the Son of God? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better so that everybody else could see the proof of their faith too, just like I've seen? Wouldn't that be better, Lord? Peter says, let me build some tents. We need to hold on to this. He wanted to bottle up that moment of joy and peace and never let go of it. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, this would be better. Let's do this. We are no different than Peter, right? I mean, we do everything in our lives to give ourselves comfort and peace That's the way we spend our time. That's typically the way we spend our money, right? To give ourselves comfort and peace. And when something comes into our life to disturb that, we get, to say the least, annoyed, right? We don't want anything getting in the way of our own peace and comfort. And when something does come up into our lives, maybe our prayer to the Lord isn't as polite as, wouldn't it be better? But maybe it even gets more blunt to say, Lord, what were you thinking? What were, why would you allow this into my life? Why would you allow this suffering? Why would you allow my mom to suffer in this way? Why would you allow those frustrations to go on at work for this long? Why would you allow these problems going on all around me and all around this world? What were you thinking, Lord? Now, God's word says that we are to pray. When, when, especially when problems come into our life, that we are to pray that the Lord would take them away from us. But what happens when the Lord decides that he's going to allow those problems to remain in your life? He allows those sufferings to remain in your life. We believe that those sufferings in our life are somehow working out for our good. But we don't want to believe that, do we? We don't want to just take on that suffering, do we? And that's when complaints come up. 
and we go back to the Lord and say, Lord, my way is a better way. Wouldn't it be better? In Acts chapter 14, it says this. It says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we, when we hear that, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We don't want to just believe that. We automatically ask the question, why? Why must I go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God? And there's a lot of different ways you can answer that, but I'll answer that with, with another question. Is it possible that we could be willing to sacrifice our eternal peace and comfort for temporary peace and comfort? Is it possible that we are willing to sacrifice our eternal peace and comfort for our temporal peace and comfort? I don't think we're immune to that. And that's why the Lord said to Peter, no, we can't hold on to this moment. Because Jesus knew that he would have to go through some temporal suffering. And Jesus was not going to forfeit eternal joy and peace for the world for a moment of temporal peace and comfort. We, as we look at this lesson, we know what's coming. We know from hindsight that Jesus had to go down from that mountain and climb another one called Calvary, where he would have to suffer for the sins of all of us. We know that. We know that he would have to suffer for you and me so that we could have and hold on to that eternal joy and peace in heaven someday. But Peter just didn't see it. He didn't see the whole picture. He couldn't understand. That's why it says he didn't know what he was saying. Right? He just couldn't see. Now, I, I can't tell you the reason for your specific suffering and your difficulties. I can't. I don't know. But I can say this, and I want to say two things. This comes from the book of Romans. It says, Romans chapter 8, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is, there will come a day when you will be in heaven and you will say that the problems and sufferings that you went through on earth was totally worth it. It was completely worth it to have that joy that you have in heaven someday. In fact, you'd probably even say that I would take on ten times the amount of suffering that I went through on earth to be able to have this. I guarantee you that you're going to say that someday. But they're not worth comparing. But then there's also this, that, that for those times when we doubt our Lord and say, you know, Lord, wouldn't it be better if this was going on in my life? He forgives us for those times when we question his wisdom and his love and his power. He does. And I'll tell you how he does that. There was a time when Jesus asked that same question to God. Wouldn't it be better if I didn't have to take this cup? Wouldn't it be better if I didn't have to go to that cross? And the Lord said no. And Jesus didn't complain. He said, but your will be done. And that's why our sins are forgiven. He would not forfeit our eternal joy and peace for moments of comfort and peace. Now, I want to go forward in this lesson here. You look at your bulletins. We're going to look at, start at verse 34 right now. Um, and at this point in the lesson, it says that Peter was still talking about 
making tents. And as he's talking about making these tents, a dense cloud comes and covers them. So they couldn't see. They couldn't see the bright lights. They couldn't see Moses and Elijah anymore. They probably couldn't even see their own hand in front of their face. They could see nothing. And it says they were afraid. Right? They were afraid. And it makes sense that they were afraid. They could see nothing anymore. And that same thing happens to us too, doesn't it? When we can't see. We can't see how these difficulties in our life are going to turn out for good. We can't see the future. We can't see God's plan and how it all works out. We don't understand it. We don't see it, and so we easily become afraid. But our Lord does not just leave us in fear. What did he give to Peter, James, and John? His voice, right? He says this. A voice came from the cloud and says this. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. All of a sudden, the fog was gone. Moses and Elijah were gone. The lights were gone. It was just plain old Jesus and a voice. Listen to him, God said. Now, now I want you to consider why, why did this happen? Why did Jesus march Peter, James, and John up this mountain so that they could see this glory? Who is this for? It wasn't for Jesus. Jesus had already seen the glory, the lights in heaven. It wasn't for Jesus to see Moses and Elijah. He had seen them before as well. But we see who this is for when we see this phrase. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Who is the Lord speaking to? Peter, James, and John, right? To them. To take away their fear to remind them that they don't have to worry about what they see, but rather just trust and listen to Jesus. And that's going to become very important for these men because in a very short amount of time, they're not going to see the glorious Jesus anymore. They're going to see a humble Jesus. In a very short amount of time, they're going to see this powerful Jesus become weak and beaten and killed. In a short amount of time, they're going to see this person who has the approval of God be abandoned by God. So they would have to remember what they heard rather than what they saw. And that's where we are today, right? We don't see the lights. We don't see the the glamour. It doesn't look that that God is in control of, of anything. It doesn't look that way. He says, listen to him. Listen to my voice. And so our Lord gives us the word, the Bible, where we can see what we can't see with our own eyes. And so we go to a funeral, a funeral of a a Christian friend or a a Christian family member. And all around you, what you see is sadness. You see a dead body. You see death. But that's not really the reality, is it? Because that person who is dead couldn't be more alive. Couldn't be doing better. And we say the same thing about our own difficulties too. right? Listen to his voice, he says. Listen to him. In his word where we are reminded over and over again, not of what we see, we trust rather in what the voice tells us, what his word tells us. Where despite the fact that we cannot see the angels, he promises that they are with us. Despite the fact we don't see Jesus, he promises that he is always with us. 
despite the fact where we don't understand how suffering works out for our good, he says it does, and so we simply trust. Listen to him. And we don't see the glory right now, I know, but someday we will. Someday we'll see all that and more. But not now. 